Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of that. All right, let's see. Oh, I'm muted. Okay. Um, what do we have now? We have 14 people. Um, I can't even write now. 18 people. Uh, okay, well, let's start. Um, any questions before we go on? Um, I, I think we have seven more classes, so that means we kind of have to go faster, which is too bad, but, um, but we'll figure it out. I think we started picking up speed last time. So, uh, oh, Grace is now admitted. Um, okay, good. So, uh, questions, comments, concerns, everything's all good. Okay. I like your beard. What? I like your beard. <laughs> Thank you. It's not as scarce bearded as it was before, right? But it's still got a week or two um, before it looks reasonable. I last had a beard, I think. I remember I had a beard when I was teaching Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. I did that too once. You, you've had to free mine up before. Wait, say that again? You had to reset mine before. Oh, okay. Um, okay, I think we're okay. Um, so let's, all right, let's go to act two, scene one. I think I last had a beard in the last century. Um, I remember I was teaching Shakespeare and, um, someone who'd been away for her junior year was surprised, um, when she came back, when I taught, uh, she's now, she's now a well-known novelist, but as far as I know, she doesn't mention a, a person who has a surprising beard in any of her novels. So, if any of you becomes a well-known novelist, you can mention it. <laughs> I like that look, Sophia. Okay, so here we are, Act 2, Scene 1. Um, so, uh, Pompey and uh, Menecrates and Menas, volunteers. Uh, I'll do, I'll do Pompey, I guess. Okay, good. So Matthew's Pompey, Menecrates. Um, um, okay, Nicole. Uh, always have to twist Nicole's arm. Good. So you're Menecrates and um, Menas. Anyone? Okay, Alex, go for it. Okay, Pompey, begin. Uh, if the great gods be just, they shall assist deeds of justice men. Menecrates. Oh, sorry. That said menace for me. Um, oh, but... okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's probably right. I'm looking at, as I say, I don't have... Um... Oh, it says Menecrates for me, so I... Yeah. It's, it's... Okay. Um, no, worthy Pompey, that what they do delay, they do not, they not deny. Else we are suitors to their throne, the case, the thing. So what are they talking about? What's Pompey up to? Why is why has Antony been called back to Rome? Why does he feel that he has to go to Rome? What's the business that um, compels his immediate attention? Pompey is like taking over. Yeah, Pompey is attacking. 
So now we are seeing things from Pompey's point of view. Um, and um, he's thinking we've got to move faster. So the question of speed, how quickly you do things, uh, what happens while people delay, that's already been the pressure put on Antony that he's been just delaying in Alexandria while Pompey is moving very, very fast. Now Pompey is saying we're not moving fast enough. So notice Antony, I meant to say this on Friday and didn't quite, that um, while Antony is on his way between Alexandria and Rome, which are the two locations that we've seen so far, he's disappeared. So in transition, he is gone from the play. Now we're in a third location, which is Pompey about to um, uh, get ready to attack Rome. And um, we still don't know where Antony is. He's been gone for a while. Antony is um, often interestingly absent um, in the way that Hamlet is when he's sent off to England. Uh, there's, there's a way in which Shakespeare will take a main character and make that character absent for a while, but nevertheless be the kind of absent core around which much is, is um, revolving. Um, okay, so the thing we sue for, what they're asking the gods to help them do, is to defeat Rome. Okay, Menecrates? We, ignorant of ourselves, beg often our own harms, which the wise powers deny us for our good. So find we profit by losing of our prayers. So that's a typical uh, Shakespearean moral observation. Pompey? I shall do well. And the sea is mine. My powers are crescents. My augering hope says it will come to the full. Mark Antony in Egypt sits at dinner and will make no wars for their doors. Caesar gets money where he leaves his hearts. Lepidus flatters both. A both is flattered. But he neither loves nor either. Okay, so how much does Pompey get right here? Or how much does he get wrong? What does he definitely get wrong? Well, he says that Mark Antony is in Egypt, right? But Antony has left for Rome. So. Exactly. So, so that's essentially the telling the audience, the foreshadowing that Pompey is not going to win this one. Um, that he is making um, assumptions, which turn out not to be true. Um, Caesar may be losing hearts um, by the way he gets money. Uh, we'll have to see to what extent that's true. Um, the one major aspect of Mark Antony, uh, well, we've already talked about this line several times, but it's such an amazing line. As for, remember, Cleopatra describing Antony to uh, Dolabella, is the character she describes him to, says... Um, as for his bounty, there was no winter in it. Someone needs to mute. I don't know if other people are hearing the... Um, I think that might be the person who's on the phone. Okay. Um, so as for his bounty, there was no winter in it. And Antony twas that grew the more by reaping. So, and remember that that gets changed to um, an autumn twas that grew the more by reaping. Um, I think the person who has to mute is the person 
whose uh, phone number is 617-365. Oh, I can mute them. What am I thinking? Okay. Yeah. Is that better for everyone? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, so um, the um, uh, remember that that was uh, the original says an Antony twas that grew the more by reaping, but um, Tybalt and other editors turned that into an autumn twas that grew the more by reaping. But the point is that Antony's bounty is um, unceasing. Um, there's no winter in it. It grows the more by reaping so that the more you reap, the more you encourage it to grow. Caesar, on the other hand, is losing hearts when he gets money. At least that's what Pompey says. And to the extent that Pompey is right in characterizing Antony as someone who loves to drink in Egypt and sit at dinner, even though Antony doesn't in the end do that, Um, He may be right that Caesar's way with money is tight-fisted and um, oppressive, that he's not generous with the people of Rome. Unlike Julius Caesar, who um, you'll know that Antony, when he reads Julius Caesar's, in the Friends Romans Countryman speech in Julius Caesar, um, he talks about how Julius Caesar made all of Rome his heir. Um, But now we have a characterization which is at least half right if we're to take his characterization of Antony as half right, a characterization of of Augustus Caesar as someone who is tight-fisted. Lepidus flatters both, of both is flattered, but he neither loves nor either cares for him. Um, Again, that's probably going to be half true. Um, so just notice that here are three judgments, all of which seem to be half true, which is, and Shakespeare is telling you they're half true by giving you the, um, the one judgment we already know to be half true, which is that Antony would like to be sitting at his dinner in Egypt, but in fact, he isn't. Um, without doors, what does that mean? No wars without doors? Anyone? It means outside. So this is without as the opposite of within rather than without in the more modern sense of um, the opposite of with. So without here is it means that he won't go outside. Um, okay, uh, Minas? Caesar and Lepidus are in the field, a mighty strength they carry. So guess what, Pompey? You're wrong. Pompey? Uh, where have you this? Tis false. From Silvius, sir. I know they are in Rome together, looking for Antony. But all the charms of love, salt Cleopatra, soften thy waned lip. Okay, so, so wait, wait, wait. Um, grammatical form? All the charms of love, soften thy waned lip. What do we call that? Anyone? Third person imperative. Yes, third person imperative. So here again is this odd third-person imperative, which is a not very imperative verb, soften, is put into a third-person imperative, which almost always should be taken um, in in ordinary circumstances. As I say, third-person imperatives are, are rare, but they're almost always extremely active verbs when you get them. Um, and here, what... what um, 
uh, we're getting is, again, that really interesting contrast between the type of verb and the type of grammatical form. Okay, go on. Um, let witchcraft join with beauty, just lust with both. Tie up the liberti libertine in a field of beasts. Keep his brain fuming. Epicurean cooks sharpen with cloyless sauce his appetite. That sleep and feeding prorogue his honor, even till a left dullness. So even even till a lethied dullness. What does that mean? Was that talking about the um, river in the underworld? Right, the river Lethe in the underworld. Um, and what happens if you if you um, drink from the river Lethe? Um, does it make you sleep? It makes you forget everything. So Lethe is the river of forgetfulness, and it's the one river that those who are in the underworld cannot drink from um, as punishment, because then they could forget everything they've lost if they could. Our word lethal comes from the name of the river Lethe, um, and simply because it's, it's a river in the afterlife. So here, a lethied dullness would mean that he, for, he would forget all his duties. Um, hang on to the word cloyless, because that is um, precisely what Cleopatra is going to be described as in a little while. Okay, Various. Who wants to be Various? Um, how about um, Matthew? Uh, this is most certain that I shall deliver. Mark Antony is every hour in Rome expected, since he went from Egypt to the space for further travel. In other words, he could have gone farther than Rome by now, so he's definitely going to be there any minute. Uh, uh, I could have given less matter, a better ear. Manus, I did not think this amorous surfeiter would have donned his helm for such a petty war. His soldiership is twice the other twain. But let us rear the higher our opinion that our stirring can from the lap of Egypt's widow pluck the ne'er lust-wearied Antony. So that's a nice way of attempting to make lemonade. Um, and it also tells us that what Caesar has already told us, which is that Antony as a soldier, when he's a soldier, is um, the best of the soldiers. Um, but he hasn't been a soldier until now, but here he is again. Minas. I cannot hope Caesar and Anthony shall well greet each other. His wife that's dead did trespass to Caesar. His brother warred him along, although I think not moved by Anthony. So again, that's a little bit of backstory. Um, that is that Fulvia, and we, we already kind of knew this, but now we definitely know it. Antony did not approve of Fulvia's war against Caesar. Um, but still, uh, it may quite be, it may quite well be that they're just not going to get along, which is going to be true. That is the tension between Caesar and Antony is the big conflict in the play. Pompey. I know not, Manus, how lesser enmities may give way to greater. Were it not that we stand up against them all, twere pregnant they should swear between themselves. For they have entertained cause enough to draw their swords, but how the fear of us may cement their divisions and bind up the petty difference we yet not know. Be it as our gods will have it, it only stands our lives upon to use our strongest hands, Pomenus. 
Okay, so once again, what we're what we are being told here is that um, Pompey thinks, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get together Caesar and Antony in order to go against us, but it's the converse that are the contrapositive that we are being um, made aware of here, which is that when they don't have a greater um, enmity when they don't have to fight against Pompey, when they no longer have a task that will um, cause them to cement their divisions and bind up the petty difference, then they will square between themselves. So this is a way of um, Shakespeare telling us the the um, the the inverse of or the converse of what Pompey is telling us, which is that once Pompey is no longer a problem, the problem will be between Antony and Caesar. Okay, scene two, Lepidus's house. Who's Lepidus? I'm asking that in two senses. Who is Lepidus? Uh, he's one of the three members of the current triumvirate. Right, and the one who flatters both and um, of both are flattered. And um, who will be Lepidus? Talia, you'll be Lepidus, okay? Do I have to unmute her? Yeah. Okay. We'll All right. So Talia will be Lepidus. Who will be Inabarbus? Prue, you look like you want to be Inabarbus. See? I knew it. I'm unmuting you. All right. Good. Um, so let's start there. Lepidus. Good Anabarbus, tis a worthy deed, and shall become you well to entreat your captain to soft and gentle speech. So soft and gentle speech to whom? What's the advice Lepidus is giving Anabarbus? Who's that advice for and why? Um, is it about Antony? Mm-hmm. That he's going to be, lead, because he's like this great military power, he's going to be leading the soldiers. So he's like the captain. Okay, so yeah. So Antony is the captain. Remember in that very first speech that Demetrius um, has at the beginning of the play, um, he talks about his great captain's heart reneging all temper. So um, yeah, Enobarbus' captain is Antony. And soft and gentle speech to whom? What is Lepidus trying to prevent? Is he trying to prevent the men from like angering Antony and maybe like causing him to go back to Egypt? Yeah, or in particular, he's trying to prevent um, Antony and Caesar from um, arguing with each other. So he doesn't want Antony uh, um, castigating Caesar. As you know, Antony has at best mixed feelings about Caesar when he calls him the scarce bearded Caesar. So what Lepidus is, Lepidus is trying to be a peacemaker and he's saying, tell Antony not to um, tell Caesar how he really thinks, but to try to be understated. Enobarbus? I shall entreat him to answer like himself. Okay, Caesar hang on to that phrase. Remember um, Cleopatra's first line about Antony? Antony will be, I'll seem the fool I am not. Antony will be himself. himself. So here he's supposed to be like himself. And you'll see variations of that phrase as applied to Antony throughout. Um, 
Go on, Ina Barbas. Move him, let Antony look over Caesar's head and speak as loud as Mars. By Jupiter, were I the wearer of Antonio's beard, I would not shave it today. So, yeah, um, Ina Barbas says Antony can do whatever he want wants. What's the um, idea about the beard? You can look at the footnotes. It says, I would defy Caesar by remaining unshaven. Yeah, it's probably even more than that, which is um, I would defy Caesar by having a chip on my shoulder because what you can do is you can beard someone as a way of insulting them, and it means plucking them by the beard. So if you have a chip, everyone knows what literally why the idiom chip on your shoulder, what, what that means? You, you just understand what it means without having any idea why it means what it means. Does anyone have any idea why it means what it means? Doesn't it mean like you have a grudge or like um, a chip on your shoulder, like you're trying to prove yourself for some reason or you have like something that's motivating you because it bugs you? No. Nice, nice, but no. What it is, is it's when you are ready. It's what Richard III does. It's when you want to be pissed off at someone. So we're, we've all had that experience of just looking for an excuse to light into somebody. Or we've all been the subject of that experience. I'm sure none of us actually do that. So if you have a chip on your shoulder, the idea would be that if someone jostles you even a tiny bit, the chip will fall off your shoulder and you will turn on them and, um, and, and, and um, light into them for knocking the chip off your shoulder. So the idea is you put yourself in a position where um, even the slightest misstep by someone else will give you an excuse to blow up at them. So that's what it would mean. Um, so this would be the, the um, 17th century version of a chip on your shoulder, which is you'll have that beard. And um, if, they, if they pull it, if they, if, they, if they are tempted in any way to pull it, then you can, you can blow up at them. So that's what Ina Barb is saying about Antony. Tis not a time for private stomaching. Every time serves for the matter that is then born in it. But small to greater matters must give way. Not of the small come first. Your speech is passion, but pray you stir no embers up. Here comes the noble Antony. Okay, so no, wait, wait. So notice, um, okay, and yeah, yeah, go ahead, you know, Barbara. And yonder Caesar. Okay, so um, now we need an Antony and a Caesar. Um, notice that there that Lepidus and Enobarbus are confirming what um, Pompey has just said, which is that the greater matter for for Lepidus is dealing with Pompey, but for Enobarbus, it's yeah they really do have antipathy towards each other, and um, if it blows up, it blows up. Okay, um, Caesar, I will call on you if you don't volunteer. Three, two, one. Emery, you're Caesar, okay? Let me unmute her. Unmute. Emery, you're Caesar, okay? Okay, good. Um, Antony. Okay. Um, LV. Sure. You're Antony. Um, and um, Messinas. Okay, Cassie, you get to be Messinas. 
and um, um, Ventidius, I, I can't remember if he speaks here, but in case he does, Ventidius. Okay, Sophie, you're Ventidius. And um, Agrippa. Grace, you're Agrippa. Okay, so unmute you guys. Um, okay, Antony. If we compose well here to part the hark, Ventidius. Okay, so um, he's he's coming in talking to Ventidius. Um, Parthia is another group of. We've already seen that the Parthians have have started taking taking back the land that Rome has conquered from them. Do people know the famous thing about Parthian horsemen? Um, this is an image that you should have. Parthian horsemen were famous for being able to fire their bows backwards. So that when you fought the Parthians, this is a metaphor that comes up over and over again in literature. Uh, when you fought the Parthians, you thought you were chasing them, but they were actually drawing you after them because they were so good at shooting from behind. And so if you chased the Parthians, you would um, almost always be in trouble. And that was their, so, so that's the famous um, military strategy of the Parthian horsemen. Okay, so um, Antony and Ventidius are speaking, and who is Caesar speaking to? I do not know, Messinus. Ask Agrippa. So they both come in in conversation. As, and again, on stage you would do this as though they both have more important things to do than go rushing to meet the other one. It's like... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you in a minute. I've got to finish talking to um, Ventidius. Uh, um, Messinus, I don't know. It's an important thing, but you can ask Agrippa. They're not, they're, they are studiously interested in the conversations they're having and not in each other. And then Lepidus, again, is the one who brings them together. So, Lepidus. Noble friends, that which combined us was most great, and let not a leader action rend us. What's amiss? May it be gently heard. When we debate our trivial difference aloud, or loud, we do commit murder and healing wounds. Then, noble partners, the rather I, for I earnestly beseech, touch you the sourest points with sweetest terms, nor curtness grow to the back. Cursedness. Don't, yeah, don't be cursed about this. It's spoken well. Were we before our armies into fight, I should do this. So, so they greet each other. Um, something like shaking hands. Thank you. Sit. Sit first, sir. Hey, so a little awkwardness. Who's going to sit first? Who's going to be more polite? Notice that when Anthony says, I should do thus, that is a counterweight to what in Act 1, Scene 1? Do you remember previous use of the word thus? The noblest of life is to do thus when such a pair and such a mutual twain can do it. That's when he kisses Cleopatra. So now doing thus with Caesar is something like shaking hands. Okay, so a little bit of awkwardness. And then Antony. I learn you take things ill, which are not so, or being concerning not. Must be laughed at if if or for nothing or little, I should say myself offended and with you chiefly in the world more laughed at that I should once name you 
interrogatively went to sound your name and not concern me. I'm being in Egypt, Caesar, what wasn't to you. So notice that they're both um, saying things which are plausibly critical, but plausibly not critical. So Caesar says, Antony says, why are you um, bothering me? And Caesar says, um, I'd be laughed at if I were bothering you, unless it were something really important. And um, I would certainly never say anything derogatory about you if it wasn't important to me. So is he denying that he's saying something derogatory? No. But is he asserting it? No. So they're both walking a nice edge here. So Antony then asks this tight question. Um, my being in Egypt, Caesar, what was it to you? Notice, by the way, you, English majors especially, who write papers, he does not say, this is, a, this is a standard error that people make in writing papers now, he does not say, me being in Egypt, what was it to you? Um, you should always use a possessive pronoun when, it's, when you are following it by a gerund. So um, it's um, um, his being home was the reason that I couldn't break into the house rather than him being home was the reason I couldn't break into the house. Almost everyone says him, um, but it's actually his. So just notice that as a little bit of um, a grammatical point from, uh, from good writing. Uh, oh, man, I'm so sorry about Agrippa. Um, why was that your Latin name? Um, it's every year, every year the senior class was given a, a Latin name, and I happened to choose Agrippa because everyone in my class, everyone in my family is like, choose Agrippa. He was a really awesome guy. <laughs> I, I'm like, okay. All right. And it just kind of, just hearing the name of Grippa now just makes me like, shut up. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. All right, um, onward then. So, no more than I residing here at Rome might be to you in Egypt. See, yeah, my residing, my residing, good. Yeah, if you there did practice on my state, your being in Egypt might be my question. Your being practiced. You may be pleased to catch at mine intent by what by what did here befall me. Your wife and brother made wars upon me, and their contestation was themed for you. You were the word of war. So they were doing it they were doing it claiming to be on your side or calling your name so that people who liked you would be on their side. Antony. You do mistake your business. My brother never did urge me in his act. I did inquire it and have my learning from some true reports that drew some swords with you. Did he not rather discredit my authority with yours and make the wars alike against my stomach, having alike your cause? Of this, my letters before did satisfy you. If you were patch or quarrel, as matter whole, you, you have not to make it with. It must not be with this. So he's saying that I had cause... Um, I, I was on your side. I had your cause. And when he, when my brother and my wife went against you, they were going against what I wanted as well. And in fact, you already acknowledged that. So why are you, patch a quarrel means picking a fight. 
Um, if you want it, it doesn't mean making up. It means the opposite. It means picking a fight. So if you want to get a quarrel, if you want to um, um, somehow produce a quarrel, um, then you, because you don't have um, the whole thing, you have to stitch it together. Don't try with that because that's not going to work. Caesar? You praise yourself by lying, def by laying defects of judgment to me, but you patch up your excuses. Yeah, you're the one who's patching. Don't patch that quarrel. You're the one who's patching. Anthony? Not so, not so. I know you cannot lack. I am certain on it. Very necessity of this thought that I, your partner in this course, against which he fought, cannot with graceful eyes attend those wars which fronted my known peace. As for my wife, I would you had her spirit in such another. The third of the world is yours, which with a snuffle you may pace easy, but not with such a wife. So if you had any idea what it was like to be married to her, then you would um, see that it wasn't my fault. Um, and remember what he said when she dies is there's a great spirit gone here we have, I would you had her spirit in such another. That is, I would you knew what it was like to be married to someone like Fulvia. Ina Barbas? Would we had all such wives that the men might go to wars with the woman? So, so much uncurbable. Her gobbles, Caesar made out of her impatience, which not wanted shrewdness of policy to. A grieving grant, did you too, did you too much disquiet? For that, you must but say, I could not help it. So he, he, he agrees that, she was, a, that uh, she was a problem for Caesar, um, but he couldn't do anything about it. Caesar? I wrote to you when riding in Alexandria. You did pocket up my letters, and with taunts did guide my missive out of audience. And that's what we've already seen. Sir, he fell upon me ere admitted. Then three kings I have newly feasted, and did want of what of what I was in the morning. The next day I told him of myself, which was as much as to have asked him pardon. Let this fellow be nothing but our strife. If we contend, out of our question, wipe him. So yeah, it's I, I was nasty to the messengers, but I was drunk. I'd been um I'd been feasting um uh, kings that morning. Um, and, uh, the next day when I sobered up, I asked his, I, I told him what was going on, which was the equivalent of asking pardon. Caesar? You have broken the article of your oath, which you shall never have time to charge me with. To charge me with? Lepidus? Lepidus? I was muted. Soft, Caesar. You were very soft. Um, so, yeah, Lepidus is saying, Caesar, don't go too far. Antony? No, Lepidus, let him speak. The honor is sacred, which he talks on now, supposing that I elected it. But on, Caesar, the article of my own. So notice that, again, Antony wants direct speech. He's not interested in people um, speaking in a polite way or in a way that, that tempers or mutes what they really feel. That's, what, that's the way he talked to the messenger as well. Remember, the messenger didn't want to tell him the news. 
And he says, though in his, um, who tells me truth, though in his tale lies death, I hear him as he flattered. So now he wants Caesar to say what he really thinks. Caesar? Lend me arms and aid when I require them, to which you both denied. It lacked rather, and then when poisoned hours have bound me up from my no knowledge. I.e. when I was nearly, totally drunk. As nearly as I may, I'll pay patent to you, patent to you. But my honesty shall not make poor my greatness, nor my power work without it. Truth is that Fulvia, to have me out of Egypt, made worse here, for which myself the ignorant motive do so far as pardon as, as befits mine honor to stoop in such a case. So now we know why Fulvia was attacking Caesar. And it was so that she would get Antony to leave Cleopatra. And we also um, see that Antony, um, who's already explained how he apologizes, which is to tell people of himself, um, he is now so far asking pardon as befits his honor to stoop in such a case. Lepidus? Tis noble spoken. If it may please you to enforce no further the griefs between you, to forget them quite, or to remember the present need speaks to atone you. Worthily spoken, Masonus. Or if you borrow one another's love for the instant, you may, when you hear no more words of Pompey, return it again. You shall have time to wrangle in when you have nothing else to do. So that's what's going to happen. Ina Barbus again speaks in prose and directly. Power to soldier only, speak no more. That truth should be silent, I had almost forgot. Yeah, so that's a really important maxim. Truth should shut up. Um, kind of an Anthony Fauci situation for Ina Barbus there. You run this presence, therefore speak no more. Go to then, your considerate stone. So what is that phrase, your considerate stone? What does considerate mean? It means able to think. Um, that is, okay, fine. I'm a thinking stone. I won't talk any more than a stone, but I have my thoughts. Um, it's also like a signature. Like you could um, end an email to someone who has told you not to express your opinions anymore. Um, Okay, see you tomorrow. Your considerate stone, Mark Antony, or your considerate stone, Ina Barbus. Okay, um, go on. I do not much dislike the matter, but the manner of his speech, for it cannot be we shall remain in friendship, our conditions so different in their acts. Yet if I knew what hoop should hold us staunch from edge to edge, of the world, I would pursue it. Yes, yeah, I would pursue it from, from one end of the world to the other. So Octavius is agreeing with Ina Barbus that even though he's just a little bit too, um, has a little bit of that too much military bluntness, um, he says that it's true. How will they stay friends if, um, once they get rid of Pompey if only there were some way? Agrippa. Give me leave, Caesar. Agrippa. Notice that, that um, Agrippa asks for leave, unlike Enobarbus. 
Thou hast a sister by thy mother by the mother's side, admired Octavia. Great Mark Antony is now a widower. Say not so, Agrippa. If Cleopatra heard you, your reproof were well deserved of Rashus. Antony. I am not married, Caesar. Let me hear Agrippa further speak. To hold you in perpetual amity, to make you brothers, and to knit your hearts with un with an unslipping knot, take Antony Octavia to his wife, whose beauty claims no worse a husband than the best of men, whose virtue and whose general graces speak that which that which none else can utter. By this marriage, all little jealousies, which now seem great, and all great fears, which now import their dangers, would then be nothing. Truths would be tales, and now half, where, where now half tales be truths. Her love to both would each to other, and all loves to both draw after her. Pardon what I have spoke, for tis a, tis a studied, not a present thought, by duly ruminated, by but duty ruminated. Yeah, so truth, um, truths would be tales, that is, all the truths um, of the way Antony had acted would no longer matter because he'd be married to Octavia. Um, truths would be tales, where now half tales be truths, um, that is, where now people believe all the gossip against him. So she would make everything good, that'll be great. Um, Antony, go on. Will Caesar speak? Not till he hears how Antony is touched with what is spoke already. What power is in Agrippa, if I would say, Agrippa, be it so, to make this good? The power of Caesar, and his power unto Octavia. So notice the negotiation there. Neither wants to say this is a good idea until they're sure that the other will say it's a good idea. So there, there's a little bit of a dance there to make sure that they're on the same page. May I never to this good perverse that so fairly shows dream of impediment. Anyone recognize that? The sonnet one sixteen. Yes. How does it go? Uh, let me not to the marriage of the uh, of true minds admit impediment. Yeah. Let love me. Is not love. Yeah. Let me. So the famous first line of sonnet one sixteen is "Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediment." So um, basically what he's saying is um, when people ask at a wedding ceremony, is there anyone here who knows some reason that this wedding should not go on? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Shakespeare is saying when it's a marriage of true minds, I would never prevent the marriage of true minds from occurring. Here we have Antony saying, um, I would not dream of an impediment to this marriage. Uh, as you can probably guess from the title of the play, um, it's not going to work out that well. Okay, go on. Let me have thy hand, further this act of grace, and from this hour, the heart of brothers govern in their loves and sway our great designs. So does anyone know who Eve Sedgwick is? Um, okay, if... Uh, she's a major, major, major figure in queer studies, and her major book is a book called Between Men. And um, her argument in that book, which is based um, in part on anthropology, is that um, women, well, it's, it's certainly true anthropologically, um, she gives it a queer spin, 
but um, it's that um, women are used as a kind of medium of exchange to bind men together. And this is a really good example of that, that um, it's in order for Antony and Caesar to be bound together, there is a, um, a conveyance of Caesar's sister to Antony as wife. Those of you who've read Twelfth Night will remember that at the end of Twelfth Night, Olivia says of Viola when she finds out that Viola is a woman and is now marrying, um, is now going to marry Orsino, but that Viola's brother is going to marry Olivia. She says of Viola, a sister, you are she. So that the relationship of sisterhood and the erotic relationship, when um, a sister is given or a brother is given to an erotic partner, there is a kind of binding of all three. And that's what's being suggested here as well. Um, go on from there. There's my hand. A sister I bequeath you, whom no brother did ever love so dearly. Let her live to join our kingdoms in our hearts, and never fly off our loves again. Happily, amen. I did not think to draw my sword against Pompey, for he hath laid strange uh, courtesies and great of late upon me. I must thank him only, lest my remembrance suffer ill report, and he all that to fight him. So notice Antony recognizes Pompey is, is, um, is uh, clearly doing what he's doing as a way of trying to mollify Antony and get him not to fight against him. Antony's impressed by it, and he says, I have to thank him, even though, of course, I'm going to fight against him because he's attacking Rome. Lepidus? Time calls upon us. Of us must Pompey presently be sought, or else he seeks at us. Where lies he? About the Mount Messina. What is what is his strength by land? Great and increasing, but by sea he is an absolute master. Okay, so stop there for a second and notice that something is being set up here that's gonna marry it's gonna matter a lot later, which is um, the difference in military tactics when you are the difference between military and naval tactics, let's say. That is that there's, you can battle by land or you can battle by sea. The history of conquest in the ancient world, first um, Alexander the Great and then Roman conquest, is always a history that goes along bodies of water, along shores of seas or along um, large rivers or large lakes. The reason being that the military has to be supplied. And um, if you're conquering, you are... Um, you are invading land where the defenders of the land will burn their food rather than let the invaders have it. They'll burn their crops. So the invaders have to be supplied, the army has to be supplied with tremendous amounts of food, and the only way to do that supplying and keep it up is by ship. So um, all wars in ancient times were wars um, where um, naval and um, military went together. And here we're, um, so that, that's simply um, a fact. Um, here the question comes up, it's important 
um, Shakespeare is alerting you to the question so that when it comes up later, um, you'll already have that as um, a question in your mind. Um, so it's just another little bit of, it's not a loaded gun, it's not um, important foreshadowing, but it's again, um, he's teaching you a little bit about the kinds of concerns and um, issues that the that um, the military leaders are thinking about how how well fitted you are to fight by land, how well fitted you are to fight by sea. Okay, go on. Elizabeth Thane, would we have spoke together, passed me for it? Yet here we put ourselves in arms. Dispatch me the business we have talked about. So what's that business? The marriage between yeah. Antony and. Okay. Yeah, and notice that once again, he's just like, you mentioned uh, we were supposed to do something. Okay. With most gladness, and do invite you to my sister's view, whither straight I'll lead you. That is madness, not, not like your company. So again, totally unimportant, but Antony is being um, courteous. Noble Antony, not sickness should detain me. Messinas. Welcome from Egypt, sir. Off the heart of Caesar, Messinas, my honorable friend Agrippa. Good Anabarbus. We have cause to be glad that matters are so well digested. You stayed well by it in Egypt. You had a good I, time sir. in Egypt. Yep. I, sir, we did sleep day out of countenance and made the night light with drinking. Eight wild boars roasted whole at a breakfast, and but 12 persons there. Is this true? So that's a lot of food, vegetarians. It's two-thirds of a wild boar per person, and wild boars are really big. So in case you don't know that, because you haven't had occasion to eat a wild boar recently, that's a lot. <laughs> this was but as a flyby an eagle. We had much more monstrous matter of feast, which worthily deserved noting. She's a most triumphant lady, if report be squared to her. When she first met Mark Anthony, she pursed up his heart upon the river of Sindis. There she appeared indeed, or my reporter devised well for her. So that's, again, notice that um, we're expecting a, um, a direct <coughs> object or a, um, an adjective after appeared, something like, there she appeared beautiful indeed, or there she appeared striking, or something like that. But instead, the only verb we get is appeared. I'm just, just the use of verbs in this play is, is really interesting. And to say, yeah, she really appeared. It's as though there's nothing else you can say about Cleopatra that wouldn't derogate from the amazingness of her appearance. It's as though there's nothing else, her, else to compare her to. It's Cleopatra, she really appeared. So do you hear how that's slightly um, non-standard? Um, how, how there's something that, there's a word you're expecting that doesn't come? And that's the point. Or else my report, or my reporter devised well for her. That is the person who told Agrippa about this, and then Ina Barbus's most famous speech. 
I will tell you, the barge she sat in, like a burnished throne, burned on the water. The poop was beaten gold, purple the sails, and so perfumed the winds were lovesick with them. The oars were silver, which to the tune of flutes kept stroke, and made the water which they beat to follow faster, as amorous of their strokes. So hang on for, for hang on for a second there. So this whole speech reverses cause and effect um, in the way she appears. So um, the winds were lovesick with the um, um, perfumed sails, which but they would only they would only smell the perfume we only smell the perfume because the winds are there but it's instead it looks as though the winds are smell the perfume when in fact they are what bring the scent of the perfume um the water the oars are beating the water but it looks as though the water is churning in order to follow the oars because they are amorous of their strokes and feel the the odd it's very high um high rhetoric but it is sexualized amorous of their strokes it's not a dirty joke but it is an erotic image um go on for her own person it beggared all description she did lie in her what word are you noticing there i'm sorry what word are you noticing you plural beggared there's beggary in the love that can be measured. So again, cloth, we're seeing that word beggared. Go on. Cloth of gold of tissue, or picturing that Venus where we see the fancy outwork nature. On each side of her stood pretty dimpled boys like smiling cupids with divers colored fans whose wind did seem to glow the delicate cheeks which they did cool and what they undid it. So she's being fanned, and it looks like the breeze from the fan is making her cheeks glow. But what, in fact, is making her cheeks glow is it's how hot it is. Um, and um, the, the, so, so the fans are cooling her, but it looks like um, they are um, making her glow rather than, than cooling her because she's glowing. And then it all gets summed up in, and what they undid, did. They, it seemed as though they were doing the thing that they were undoing. And that's part of the amazing surface, absolute commitment to the surface, you could call it, that you get in Alexandria, that you get in Egypt. That is that, that um, we're not looking for truth, we're looking for um, the beauty of the effect. And the beauty of the effect here is that the fans seem to glow the delicate cheeks, which they did cool. Agrippa. Oh, rare for Antony. For gentlewoman like the Nereids, so many mermaids tended her in the eyes and made their bends adornings. At the helm, a seeming mermaid steers. The silken tackle swell with the touches of those flower-soft hands that yearly frame of the office. From the barge, a strange invisible perfume hits the sense of the adjacent wharfs. The city cast her people out upon her, and Antony enthroned in the marketplace did sit alone whistling to the air, which, but for vacancy, had gone to gaze on Cleopatra too, and made a gap in nature. So, wait, 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 stop there, stop there. 
Um, so everyone is there watching her go down the river Sidness, and there's this strange invisible perfume that hits the adjacent wharfs, which is where Antony is sitting. He's enthroned in the marketplace. He's going to meet her there, waiting to see her, and he's on land. She's coming on water, and he just whistles. That is, he is resisting um, her amazing seductive beauty by trying to be boyish and whistling to the air um but the but the air itself would he wouldn't have been able to whistle the air itself would have gone to gaze on cleopatra except that um that that nature abhors a vacuum that air can't leave and leave a vacuum um where have we seen the word gap before anyone remember Cleopatra, when she says, give me to drink Mandragora, she wants to sleep away. She wants to sleep this great gap of time, uh, sleep through this great gap of time. My Antony is away. So um, here there's a gap in nature and a gap in time. And um, those are the thing that's basically everywhere that Cleopatra and that Antony are not. Um, Agrippa? Rare Egyptian. Upon her landing, Antony sent to her, invited her to supper. She replied it should be better he became her guest, which she entreated. Our courteous Antony, whom never the word of no woman heard speak, being barbered ten times over, goes to the feast, and for his ordinary pays his heart for what his eyes eat only. What's ordinary mean there? Look at the footnote if you want. meal yeah ordinary basically means um uh it's it's really a military meal um it's it's a meal in which everyone gets the same thing um so but here he's get he's a military officer he's getting it from cleopatra and he pays his heart he gives up his heart um for food that he doesn't even eat since all he's doing is gazing at cleopatra so Agrippa finds this really, really moving, right, Agrippa? Royal wench, she made Caesar lay his sword to bed. He plowed her and she cropped. So what does that mean? Sex. Yeah, he plowed her and she cropped. Um, oh, yeah, good good question, Tish. Does this imagery go back to the bellows and the fan to cool a gypsy's lust? Yeah, it does. The whole idea of the... Um, uh, of the air moving and cooling Cleopatra, who is herself um, someone who glows, let's say, with erotic life, um, which, which the Romans will call lust, but which it's a little bit um, reductive simply to call lust. Um, as a group does, he plowed her and she cropped. That is Julius, great Caesar there is Julius Caesar. Um, his sword is a particular kind of sword and she had a child by him um, who will be mentioned later. His name was Caesarian. Um, he plowed her and she cropped. Ina Barbas. I saw her once hop 40 paces through the public street and having lost her breath, she spoke and panted that she did make defect perfection. And breathless, poor breath forth. And breath, what do you have? And breathless. Poor breath forth. No, damn. Um, 
No, I, I guess this must be a later emendation, but I think it's right. And breathless power breathe forth. There must be a note on that in the ordinance. I say I don't have my copy. I can't find my copy. But um, she was breathless, but breathed forth power. She makes defect perfection. That's like, and what they undid, did. She makes defect perfection. Breathless, she breathed forth power. Messinas? Now Antony must leave her utterly. Never, he will not. Age cannot wither her, nor custom stale. Her infinite variety. Other women cloy the appetites they feed, but she makes hungry where most she satisfies. For vilest things become themselves in her, that the holy priest bless her when she is riggish. So she is, so there's that word cloyless again that Pompey has used before. Um, other women men get tired of, but she is um, uh, satisfying um, but she, but her, but the way she she satisfies man is to make them even hungrier. Vilest things become themselves in her. That is, everything that anyone else would find vile in her becomes beautiful. And so, when she is horny, that's what riggish means. She's blessed by the holy priests. If beauty, wisdom, modesty can settle the heart of Antony, Octavia is a blessed lottery for him. Agrippa. Let us go. Good Enobarbus, make yourself my guest whilst you abide here. Humbly, sir, I thank you. Okay, so notice that Enobarbus, the most important thing that's happened in, at the end of this scene is Enobarbus saying there's no way this thing with Octavia is going to work. Um, he is not. Messinus says, now Antony must leave her utterly. And Enobarbus says, not gonna happen. Okay, um, Mark Antony, Octavius, and Octavia, who, um, do we want a new Mark Antony? Okay, Nicole, you be Mark Antony. Um, Octavia? Um, okay, good. Sophia, you be Octavia. And, um, and, uh, Caesar? All right, Hannah, how about you be Caesar? Sure. Okay. All right, Antony. The world and my great office will sometimes divide me from your bosom. All which time before the gods, my knees shall bow my prayers to them for you. Good night, sir. My Octavia, read not blemishes in the world's report. I have not kept my square, but that to come shall all be done by the rule. Good night, dear lady. Good night, sir. So I'm going to be a good husband, he says. Don't worry. I'm, I'm turning over a new leaf, getting all my papers in on time from now on. Good night, sir. Uh, Nas, Nasira, you do wish yourself in Egypt? Oh, I'll be the soothsayer. Who else? This is the scene that Macbeth is alluding to. Um, would I had never come from thence, nor you thither. So notice now the soothsayer. He's a pretty, pretty bitter soothsayer, which soothsayers are not supposed to be. But um, we've already seen his prescience vexed in the previous scene with him. 
would I never come from thence, nor you thither. Um, if you can, your reason. So if you're able to give a reason for this, what is it? I see it in my motion, have it not in my tongue, but yet hie you to Egypt again. Say to me, whose fortunes shall rise higher, Caesar's or mine? Caesar's! Therefore, O Antony, stay not by his side. Thy demon, that's thy spirit which keeps thee, is noble, courageous, high, unmatchable, where Caesar's is not. But near him thy angel becomes a fear as being o'erpowered. Therefore, make space enough between you. So notice that, um, where was that in Macbeth? Is that basically like the witches telling him, telling Macbeth about um, whether or not he's going to like um, be better off than, whether he's going to be able to defeat Macduff? No, it's actually Macbeth complaining about Banquo, that um, he is, he um, that Banquo um, keeps defeating him as the as twas said that the Banquo's genius is greater than his as twas said um, Caesar's that his genius is overawed by Banquo's as twas said Mark Antony's twas by Caesar Mark Antony's was by Caesar. Do people remember that? Yeah, good. I remember that now. Oh, okay, good. Um, go on. Uh, in, say to me, who's oh, sorry? Um, speak this no more. To none but thee, no more but when to thee. If thou dost play with him in any game, thou art sure to lose. And of that natural luck he beats thee against the odds. Hang on to that word odds here. We totally know what it means. Um, it's the modern use of um, doing something against the odds. Thy luster thickens when he shines by. Um, do you remember the word thickens in Macbeth? Anyone? Day thickens and the rook makes towards the wood. It's an interesting word. Um, again, it's not, let me just say, it's not that we're supposed to notice that this word is there or not, but um, here's an interesting um, uh, cognitive psychological uh, um tool that people have used to work out which roles Shakespeare played um, is that the roles that that he played you can you can do statistical analyses of Shakespeare's plays and it's clear you can do this with anyone that um, uh, and there are lots of experimental psychology uh, uh, proofs of this that you can prompt people, with um, semi-unusual words. So something that people will do in, in psych experiments is um, they'll have you read something or the experimenter will tell you something and will use a slightly, uh, a word that, that, that's pretty low frequency, um, but they'll just use the word um, as though they're not thinking about it or you'll read something as though um, it's just standard text. And then, you know, I don't know if this is still true, but in my day when I was making um, money doing psych experiments as an undergraduate, um, they um, actually didn't tell you what, they, what the experiment was about until afterwards. 
and you thought that they were um, trying to figure out something which seemed obvious, but it turned out that they were that that was a ruse, and that they were really looking at something else, but they didn't want you to know what they were looking at because then you would get self-conscious when you were doing that kind of thing. So you might be in a psych experiment where they give you instructions and they use a slightly unusual word in the instructions and then you do the experiment, which is how quickly you can push a button when you see, when you hear a sound or something like that. And you're sure that's the experiment. And then afterwards they debrief you. And if there is a slightly unusual word, they will ask you a question um, where you would have no reason to use that word except that it happened to be in your mind. And you won't even know that the reason you use the word is that you had read it or heard someone say it um, a half hour earlier. And that's the real experiment that they're interested in. So what you can do is you can plant words in people's minds and they will be much more likely to use that word in the next little while than they, than they otherwise would be. So for Shakespeare, you can tell that certain words are on his mind sometimes when they are of no particular interest, but he's using them way more often than he uses in the body of his work. And when that happens, that suggests that, that those words, that he's just written a speech, or even more interestingly, that he's just memorized a speech for the role in his own play that he's playing. And you can tell, um, or there are good arguments for figuring out which roles Shakespeare played in his own play by the words in those speeches that he would have memorized, not only written but memorized, and how those words then get scattered throughout the play um, because he's got those speeches memorized, those words are close, close at hand. Um, the way for you guys, the word incredibly is always close at hand when you're writing papers. Um, there'll be, those words will be close at hand and they'll be go-to words for him. So here, I think what we can guess, obviously there's no proof, but what we can guess is that either writing Ant and Cleopatra or writing Macbeth, um, the word thickens was just a great word. And um, so it's on his mind and he either has been writing Macbeth and then reuses the word without even noticing it in Antony and Cleopatra, or he was writing Antony and Cleopatra and he uses the word in Macbeth. And remember the soothsayer scene is certainly, um, he's writing um, Macbeth and Antony and Cleopatra at the same time when he's thinking in Macbeth of the soothsayer and what he said um, about Mark Antony. Okay, so, thy luster thickens when he shines by. I say again, thy spirit is all afraid to govern thee near him, but he away, tis noble. So here the soothsayer says, Antony is most himself when he's farthest from Caesar. Antony? Get thee gone, say to Ventidius I would speak with him. Soothsayer exits, then he shall to Parthia be it art or hap. He hath spoken true. Who's the, the he? Very... Who's the he there? So he shall to Parthia, who's that? Ventidius? Right. Be it art or hap, he hath spoken true. Who's that? Also Ventidius? No. Who's just told who's who's just said the sooth? Oh, the soothsayer. Yes. 
Uh, the very dice obey him who? The soothsayer. No, the very dice uh-huh. who always wins against the odds? Caesar. Caesar. So the very dice obey Caesar. So three male pronouns, three different people. As though Antony is kind of having to deal with um, three versions of um, people he's dealing with at once. So the very dice obey him. Go on. And in our sports, my better cunning fates. So my better cunning faints under his chance. If we draw lots, he speeds. His cocks do win the battle still of mine. When it is all to naught, and his quails ever beat mine in hooped at odds, I will to Egypt. And though I make this marriage for my peace, I the east my pleasure lies. In the east. Oh, in the east my pleasure lies. Right. So Enobarbus was right. Um, Just talking to the soothsayer and he's ready to go back to Egypt. Antroventidius, go on. Oh, come, Ventidius. You must have Parthia. Your commission's ready. Follow me and receive it. Okay, Lepidus, Messinus, and Agrippa. Let's keep the same people doing those um, for the last two minutes. Lepidus. Our old Lepidus. Who, who was Lepidus before? It was me, sorry. Trouble yourselves no further. Pray you hasten your generals after. Sir, Mark Antony will even kiss Octavia and will follow. Till I shall see you in your soldier's dress, which will become you both. Farewell. Messinas. As I conceive the journey, be at the mount before you, Lepidus. Your way is shorter. My purposes do draw me much about. You'll win two days upon me. Sir, good success. Farewell. So where are they going? What mount is that? Is this like in relation to how like uh, Rome is on hills? Mount Messina? Mount Messina. Yeah, it's it's a two-day journey. So it's not just that Rome is built on seven hills. It is that they have to go two days off, and that is where Pompey is. So the scene with Pompey was um, where he is predicting that, wrongly predicting that Antony won't come back. That's going to take them two days to meet there. So now we know that they are going forth. They're marching forth to meet Pompey. Um, okay, let's. we have one more minute. So uh, Cleopatra. I'll be Cleopatra. Uh, Charmian. I'm going to pick um, E to be Charmian. Uh, she's still here. No, she's not. All right, I'm not going to pick E to be Charmian. Uh, oh, no, she is there. Okay, good. So I'll be Cleopatra. Give me some music, music, moody food of us that trade in love. The attendants cry, the music, ho! Mardian enters. Let it alone, let's to billiards. Come, Charmian. My arm is sore, best play with Mardian. So she's tired of playing billiards with Cleopatra. As well a woman with an eunuch played as with a woman. Come, you'll play with me, sir? Um, someone be Mardian. Uh, uh, as well as I can, madam. And when goodwill is showed... Though it come to short, the actor may plead pardon. I'll none now. Give me mine angle. Will to the river. There, my music playing far off. 
I will betray tawny finned fishes. My bended hook shall pierce their slimy jaws, and as I draw them up, I'll think them every one an Antony and say, aha, you're caught. Okay, we can stop there, but notice again, an Antony. So she'll go fishing, she'll listen to music, and she'll think of every fish as an Antony. And she loves the idea that she'll catch them and say, aha, you're caught. Okay, um, see you Friday. Stay healthy. Don't go too stir-crazy. If you do, you can always read Shakespeare, which takes your mind off everything, right? Good. Okay. Bye. Take care. Thank you, Professor. Thank you.